Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. We're going through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings, and we're in chapter 16. Uh, As you're opening your Bibles, uh, I want to tell you that the membership class is next Sunday afternoon. I'm doing it a little bit differently than I usually do it. I'm going to do it in the afternoon, right after this uh, last service. And uh, if you want to join our church, you can do it through the class, or if you just want to find out more about our class, you're welcome to come. And if you'll uh, sign up, you can do a connection card or you can do it online and just let us know that you're coming. It'd be helpful for us. And I uh, look forward to seeing you there. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. And as uh, before I read that, I'm going to read the whole chapter and you'll want to keep your Bibles open and follow along. But before I read that chapter, I want to kind of, uh, kind of set the chronology of the book of Revelation or the end times and what's going to happen as I see it. Here's how I kind of see the general chronology and where we are in this book of the Bible with it. So the next event that will occur will be the rapture. There'll be a rapture of the church. Those who know Christ as Savior will meet the Lord in the air. There'll be a a cataclysmic moment, a big moment for believers, cataclysmic moment for the world. And then after that will come the Antichrist. He's called the beast here, uh, sometimes in the text. And he'll come kind of a charismatic sort of figure. He's... um, uh, I think at first there'll be kind of a time of peace and then a uh, time of great difficulty and he'll turn people away from the Lord, of course. And then the next uh, part is what we call the tribulation or the great tribulation. And that's where we are in the text right now, this time of terrible tribulation when so many suffer, all the terrible things that happen. And at the end of that time is uh, what we call the battle of Armageddon. And you'll see that that uh, name of Armageddon mentioned here in our chapter and kind of the preparation for this battle, a really kind of elongated battle. And then the second coming will be after that. And the second coming, I see that in the the rapture and the second coming as two distinct things. The rapture is Christ. Christ comes for his church. And um, in the second coming, Christ comes with his church. And the rapture, um, that comes before judgment and in the second coming Jesus comes with judgment and then the millennial reign or the millennium a thousand year reign of the Lord we'll see more of that coming and then um, finalizing in the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth so those things we'll see more I'll mention kind of that chronology on occasion as we go through so here's what we're going to do are you ready for this I'm going to read the entire chapter 21 verses Can you stay with me that long? Let's try it. Let's just find out, shall we? Here we go. Revelation chapter 16. Hold your Bibles open. Let's go all the way through this. The Bible says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person. And all life in the sea died. The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel of the water say, You are just the Holy One who is and who was, because you have passed judgment on these things. Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. I heard the altar say, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. 
The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People nod their tongues because of their pain and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not, may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people. And they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because that plague was extremely severe. Well, let's note something from this seven bowls of wrath poured out, of God's wrath poured out on the, on the world in the time of this great tribulation. And here's the basic principle I want you to know. God's judgment is just. God's judgment is just. And I know that judgment, you're not, like, you're not supposed to talk about that in polite company. I get that. Because it's a subject that's difficult for us. And so because of that and because of kind of the way the modern world often thinks, many who name the name of Christ or who are in at least Christendom within the Western church in particular um, sort of ignore this part of God. And so they'll like emphasize the love of God and the blessings of God. And who's not going to love the blessings of God? This is great. But let's not talk about God's holiness and judgment and justice. Those are things that we just, we just rather not talk about. And so in large measure, many within the realm of the Christian scope in, in our country and beyond kind of ignore this part. Maybe it's sort of like um, a relative that you don't want to talk about. Everyone's got crazy relatives. Everyone's got crazy relatives. I've got gobs of relatives. I've got gobs of cousins and, and some of them you know, it's kind of crazy. In fact, some of them probably right now are somewhere talking about, some of my relatives are probably talking about, I'm the crazy one. And I resent it when Vicki says that. I'll just tell you, I don't, like, I don't think she ought to talk that way about me. But maybe you've got some cousin or some uncle or someone, and they're just, like, they're a nice guy most of the time. But on occasion, they have these just crazy outbursts. Maybe they, maybe they get drunk and just tear up the house or something. And Maybe you, in your family, you have some sweet aunt, and you, you, when you talk about that, you say, man, you know, Cousin Jimmy's kind of, and she says, no, 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 wait, we, we just, we don't talk about that. We won't talk about that. And maybe that's how we kind of think with God. I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm just going to emphasize the parts of God that I really enjoy and like. I like the blessings. Who doesn't? And I like the love part of God. Who doesn't? But I don't want to talk about justice and judgment and God's holiness, and yet we, we have to because it's in our best interest. 
We have to because the Bible tells us we need the whole counsel of God. We have to because it's to our great benefit. We'll never understand God's greatness and goodness. We'll never understand God's best purpose for our lives. We'll never even appreciate what he has done for us. We won't even appreciate the blessings he gives to us unless we see the truth about where we stand before him, where justice and judgment stand and God's righteousness and holiness. So with that in mind, hold your Bibles open and let's note three principles together. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write these three things down. Number one, we're going to talk about God's judgment being just and why that is. Number one, God's judgment is just because of sin's nature. Because of sin's nature. So under every point, I'm going to give you bonus notes. This is a big, this is a big day for you. You get bonus, extra free notes. And I'm going to give kind of an application of this after each point. And here's the application I want to make. You can write this if you want to. Sin is worse than we think. Sin is worse than, worse than we think. So we would say maybe, all right, all right, I've sinned, I guess. If, I mean, if, if you want to push it, there's some things in my life that are not like they ought to be, all right. But it's no big deal. And it doesn't really matter that much. And even in our society that really struggles, we just struggle with absolutes. We say there are absolutely no absolutes as though that's not an absolute. I mean, we struggle with that. And saying there's something. But we say, we realize there's some things that are just, they're just wrong. And we... We know that inherently. We know that certainly biblically. And, and we think, well, okay, I've sinned, but it's not like it doesn't matter that much. And the Bible says, man, it's way worse than you think. Can I just tell you, it's way worse than you think. You might not think of it as any big deal. It's way worse. This is a happy. Are you enjoying the sermon so far? Well, we need to understand this, and it's to our interest, and God, even in his, we'll see something of God's love and goodness. Even in the judgment of God, we see something about that. So let's just note some things about sin's nature. Number one, note that sin separates. Uh, verse one says, let's go back to the text. Verse one says, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Man, that's judgment. Verse two, the first went and went out, went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. So just note that sin separates. Here are those who have decided instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping the Antichrist, really an image of the Antichrist. And I will say, if you don't worship the Lord, you're going to worship something. You're going to worship something. Yourself or money, or your, or your job, or something you're going to worship. There's just this void within us. This, it's a God-shaped void, but we try to fill it with all kinds of things, and there's this inherent need for us to worship. And so people are, are going to worship the wrong things because sin separates us from God. God is holy and perfect, and when we sin, we're separated from him. And so, so instead of worshiping the Lord, having fellowship with God, communion, God created us for that. Instead, we end up worshiping other things because sin separates us from God. It's worse than we think. And notice, well, sin kills. It kills. Let's go to uh, verse 5 in the text. The Bible says, I heard the angel of the water say, You are just the Holy One who is and who was because you have passed judgment on these things because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. They deserve it. Man, so in the future days, in the time of the great tribulation, there'll be people who will put to death those who follow Jesus, those who trust him as savior. 
And by the way, it's not just the future, is it? Even right now, around our world, there are people who are dying for their faith because they're following the Lord Jesus and people, because sin, ha- sin is not just this, oh, it's, you know, kind of a nice thing and maybe we ought not to do it, but it's, you know, it's harmless and it kills, it steals, it destroys. It kills us. In fact, it, it, the Bible tells us that death entered the world because of sin and spiritual death is a part of our world because of sin. We are dead, the Bible says, in our trespasses and sins. It kills and it destroys us. If, if you someday, I hope you've... Um, hope you'll read the Bible for yourself and find out what God has to say. And if you've not yet read the New Testament, read that New Testament maybe several times. But at some point, you're going to want to read the entire Bible. And maybe, I hope, many times in your lifetime, you'll read that. And you'll come along as you're reading in the Old Testament. You'll see the sacrificial system. And you'll see that because of sin, an animal's slain. And I tell you, the people of the Old Testament, if they understood one thing, the people of the, of the days of the temple and the tabernacle, they understood this. Sin has consequences. It kills. The blood of an animal is shed. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's how seriously God takes it. Sin separates and sin kills. And then notice sin breaks God's laws. Let's skip all the way down to verse 19 in the text. The Bible says, uh, the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great, the, the city of Babylon is mentioned many times in the Bible. And it becomes a synonym for immorality, sexual immorality, and really immorality of any kind. We'll see it more in the, in the book of Revelation soon. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger because Babylon is sinning against God. Just like our own generation, our own culture sins against God. I know what God says, but that was, I mean, that's just old fashioned. That's out of date. I don't have to do what God says. But can I tell you, when we sin, we often sin against ourselves. We damage ourselves always. And sometimes we sin against others. But we always, we always sin against God. God, the one who gives us the law. God who tells us the truth. God who calls us to something better. Because God is just when he judges our world because of sin's nature. Sin is worse than we think. Uh, someone gave me a book recently on Calvin Coolidge, the president from 100 years ago. And I just started reading it, but I was reminded of this story of Coolidge. When he was president, he, was, he didn't talk a lot. He would, uh, what, a, what an odd thing for a politician not to be just a huge talker. I mean, just like all, all of our experience in life as politicians just talk and talk and talk and talk. Sort of like pastors, I guess, maybe. But nonetheless, they just talk too much. And Coolidge was, had an economy of words, and he didn't talk as, you know, used fewer words. And one time while he was in the White House, he um, went to church on a Sunday morning, and someone at the White House, when he got back, said, well, where were you this morning? And he said, I went to church. And he said, well, how was it? And, and Coolidge said, fine. And the guy wanted more. He said, well, so uh, what did the preacher preach about? And Coolidge said, Sin. And the guy wanted more than that. He said, well, what do you have to say about sin? And Coolidge said, I think he was against it. (laughs) I hope he was. Because I just tell you, sin is way worse than we think. Really, You have grown up in a generation that says sin is no big deal and it doesn't really matter. And may I respectfully say, 
God's word teaches us the truth about sin because it's in our best interest to understand how damaging it is, how painful, how heartbreaking, how gut-wrenching, how soul-destroying sin is. And God cares too much about you not to tell you that truth. And that's the second thing I want you to note. I've said God's judgment is just because of sin's nature. Number two, God's judgment is just because of our nature, because of our nature. So I said uh, in your bonus notes for point one, sin is worse than we think. Here's your, your free notes for this. Are you ready? We are worse than we think. Not only is sin worse than we think, but we are worse than we think. We're worse than we think. We say if some, maybe, we're, maybe we do something wrong or have some angry outburst or say something we don't normally say. And we will say, that's not me. That's not me. But it's in there if it came out. It was in there. And we want to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and say we're okay. And the Bible says, no, there's a problem that we have. We're born with a bent towards sin. We could say it like this. We're sinners by nature and by choice. That is, we choose to sin against God, but we're born with a bent towards sin. In fact, if you are a parent of a two-year-old, you figure that out by now. They have a bent towards sin. You teach them to sin, of course, but they have a bent towards sin. We're sinners by nature and by choice. And this sinful nature is a problem, that a difficulty. In fact, the Lord reminds us that in salvation, he doesn't just reform us. He changes us from the inside. He gives us a new nature. When you trust Christ as Savior, God uses words like, Jesus said, you, be, you must be born again. That's strong imagery of the change. You pass from death to life. So God's word is teaching us that God changes our very nature and who we are and what we like and what we want. Now there's still a battle. Some of you know this spiritual battle very well. Paul talked about the spiritual battle in his life between the old nature and the new nature. Have you felt that in your life? Those of you who know Christ as Savior, you've felt this battle. There's the old ways, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, and then there's what God wants, and you feel that battle between the old nature and the new nature, it's a battle worth fighting. It's a battle worth fighting. It's, it's worth fighting because uh, God wants, because of sin is worse than we think, because of the problems that it causes, the damage that it does, but God has something better for us. And in the new nature, God is teaching us the reality of, uh, of sin's nature and his nature. So let's note a couple of things about our own nature that we see here in the text. Uh, first, I want you to note that we have a tendency to reject God. Let's go to verse 8. This is the fourth bowl of judgment being poured out. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun, verse 8 says. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they did what? Did they repent and respond? No. So they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Man, we, we have a tendency to reject God. In fact, the Bible tells us God draws us to himself because our tendency is to reject him. Uh, you're not going to tell me what to do? We can do it kind of actively, shake our fist, you're not going to tell me what to do, or more passively, just ignore God. Maybe some of you have said, someday, someday I'm going to trust Christ as Savior, someday I'm going to whatever follow him in baptism. Someday I'm going to get active in my faith. Someday I'm going to serve him. It's just another way of us rejecting God in this day. And maybe we have good intentions, but there's a tendency in our lives, we ought to note this, that 
this tendency to reject God is a part of our old nature. Not only do we tend to reject God as even in the days, can you imagine, this is the days of, of the great tribulation and the, this terrible problem that they're facing and they blaspheme in the, the name of God. He's the one who has the power over these plagues. They don't repent and give him glory. Or skip down to verse 10 and 11. We're going to see that, that we have this tendency to be stubborn. In verse 10, the fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People nod their tongues because of the pain. That's serious. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but did not repent of their works. Over and over, we see that. Seven times we see the judgment coming over and over. They just continue their own ways. I'm not going to go your way, God. They did not repent of their works. We have this tendency towards stubbornness. All the way down to verse 21 in the text. In verse 21, the Bible says, enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail. There's that tendency for us to be stubborn when God has a call on us, when he tells us what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. We have a tendency towards stubbornness. By the way, probably when I talk about people who are being stubborn, you probably don't just, you don't have to look at your neighbor just to see that. You could probably look in the mirror and see something about stubbornness in your life. Is that fair to say? Can't you see something of that in your own nature? You have this tendency to reject God. You're not going to tell me what to do, God. I'm going to go my own way. Stubbornness. I know what God wants, but I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go live my way, do what I want. That's our tendency, and it's good for us to recognize this. We'll never change without this understanding that, that we have this tendency, this battle that's going on, even as believers between the old nature and the new nature. I live uh, near, have woods next to me, and so I have, we have deer around all the time and often in our yard, and deer just eat everything. They eat everything. They, they eat our flowers. We'll water the flowers and pull the weeds around them, and the deer will come and just eat the flower off or sometimes the whole plant. I planted strawberries in a, a, a big patch of strawberries. I just thought, deer won't bother strawberries. Probably, I've never, have you ever seen a picture of deer eating strawberries? They'll come eat the entire plant. They eat the whole plant and just tear them out. In a night, they'll just tear that whole plant. I planted a raspberry bush. It's got some little thorns on it, but the tender shoots that grow up, the, the new growth, they'll just bite that off and eat that. That's their nature. That's their nature. By the way, that's why people deer hunt. I don't know if you knew that was why they do it. Well, we have a tendency in our own nature towards rejecting God and stubbornness. And it's good for us to see this in our lives. So I've said God's judgment is just because of sin's nature and because of our nature. But thirdly, note God's judgment is just because of his nature, because of his nature. And in application, your free notes, here it is. God is more just than we think. He's more just than we think. We sort of think perhaps God just ignores sin, but justice doesn't allow that. It wouldn't be just of God to ignore the consequences that always come with sin. We've said it like this. If you've been here the last few weeks, God is both love and holy. Remember, not love or holy, not just one or the other, but he is all the time, love and holy. Those two things go together. So notice the text teaches us God is just. Verse 5 tells us about an angel who's speaking to us about the nature of God. He speaks to the Lord and he says, you are just the holy one. The holiness of God is what makes him just. Who was and who is, 
the one who has always been, the one who will always be, because you have passed judgment on these things. The angel recognizes what we need to recognize, that God is just. That is his very nature. That a just God rightly judges sins. And then notice, secondly, that God is true. Verse 7 and verse 5, the angel is speaking, verse 5 and 6. In verse 7, the Bible says, the altar speaks. And the altar says, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. They're true. They're righteous. They're accurate. God knows the truth. God's not surprised about the nature of sin. He's not surprised about our nature. He knows the truth about our actions and our attitudes. So, man, what hope is there? Bowls of wrath, the beginnings of Armageddon. God is just, and we're not. God is holy, and we've sinned. If sin is worse than we think, if we're worse than we think, if God is just, what hope is there? Well, there's hope because God is holy and love. God is love and holy, but God is holy and love. That is, God is holy, and a holy God, of course, rightly judges. But God is love, and he cares about people who have not met the standards, who have lived lives conquered and defeated by sin. And we see the demonstration of this in the cross. In the cross, we see God's holiness and his judgment. Sin carries consequences. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus goes to the cross. He went to the cross taking my sins, my sins, and your sins upon himself. And he became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin in our place. Because God is just and holy and judges sins. And Jesus took that judgment upon himself. But the cross reminds us of God's love as well. That God loves us so much that he would pay the price so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be set free, so that we can be adopted into God's family. In fact, one of the reasons God gives us the book of Revelation is so that we will see what is going to happen in the future. This has not happened yet. It is what is going to happen. And God does that to warn us of his judgment. But he warns us because he loves us, because he wants something better for us. The Bible tells us we are blessed by reading the words of Revelation. Blessed. Because God warns us, reminds us, shows us that there's a better way. That we don't have to experience God's judgment, but we can experience God's forgiveness. Jesus paid, atoned for our sins. Jesus redeems us. He buys us back. We can be forgiven. Forgiven and set free. And God warns us because he cares about us and loves us. And you matter to God. Did you realize that? You know, it's not even really that good news. The gospel is good news. But it's not that good news. It's not good news if it's no big deal. It's, what's the matter if sin's no big deal? It's oh, fine, great. But when we realize sin is worse than we think, and when we realize we are worse than we think, and then we see that Christ paid the price that was ours, oh, then it's good news. 
then, it's, then we understand what grace and mercy. There's no grace and mercy if we're just getting what we deserve, but God gives us, lavishes his love on us even though we don't deserve it. A holy, just God who loves. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, could I just urge you to give your life to him? Trust him as Savior. Find forgiveness in Christ. Be warned of the truth. Be reminded that there are always consequences for our sins. But there's a God who loves us so much, he's willing to take the consequences upon himself. Father, thank you for your word, the power of it, the truth you teach. Thank you for this great book of the Bible that reminds us and warns us. And Lord, this is a subject that sometimes we want to just ignore, but how much better for us to see the truth? How much richer is your grace and your mercy when we understand something of your justice and and how just you are even in your judgments. And so use this in our lives. I pray you'll draw people to salvation and you'll draw Christians to a deeper walk with you and you'll use this to make us more like Jesus in the moments you give us in this world. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name, amen.